Let's turn together our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And in the Pew Bibles in front of you, that's page 882. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 24 through 30. I invite you to stand as you're able out of respect for God's word. I'll begin at verse 14. And when the hour uh, came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute arose also among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat And drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, teach us to be a people who have heard your word, who understand it by the power of your spirit and who are changed because of it. And particularly today, we ask, Lord, that you would give us the hearts of servants. Help us to learn this from the Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. There's one thing you can count on if you're roving through uh, a bookstore And that is finding a particular kind of book. I know you'll find many books in a bookstore, but there's one particular book you can count on finding. And usually the title goes something like this. Seven Principles of Highly Effective Leaders. Or maybe instead there's 12 
principles or something like that. You get the picture, right? There's always books on leadership, and they're usually front and center on that main display rack in the bookstore. Why is that? Because they're bestsellers. People want to know about leadership. Authors know that this kind of thing sells and that people want and need to hear about it because it's that kind of practical topic that just never grows old. We all find ourselves in desperate situations where we need to be a leader, whether that's in our home or uh, at our work. And yet we, we realize so quickly our inadequacy to, to be up for the task, don't we? Well, it's interesting you, that you find this topic in the scriptures. In fact, you find it right here in Luke chapter 22. I was surprised when I heard Jesus start to talk about leadership in our passage. Because here is the Savior going to the cross. Everything is already in motion, in motion as, as God has determined and as evil men have planned. And, and what is happening as God takes the, the plans of evil men and uses them for his purpose, Christ is drawn closer and closer to the cross, closer and closer to Golgotha, where he is going to offer himself up as a sacrifice, as a Passover lamb. And right as that intensity is coming to a peak, all of a sudden Jesus takes some of his last uh, moments with his disciples, with the apostles, to talk about leadership. You say, well, that's something I'd expect to hear on a TED Talk. That's something I expect to encounter in a bookstore. But on the night when Jesus is betrayed, a leadership seminar? Yes. Yes, because leadership isn't just a practical thing. It's also something that is precious to Jesus. It's something that is precious to him that he wants to entrust the church with, that he wants to give to his people. Leadership is important to Jesus. The right kind of leadership. And you'll notice he doesn't have seven highly effective um, steps. He doesn't have 12 principles. He has one. One. Not that others aren't important, but there's one that is more important than anything. Service. Let's look at this first by seeing this sinful dispute in our passage that, that erupts. And then we're also going to see second... The serving Savior. A sinful dispute and then a serving Savior. And we hear of the sinful dispute right off the bat in verse 24. A dispute also arose um, among them, among the apostles, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. You can see how this dispute gets started, right? Because we read a little, we read some of the background leading up to this. Jesus tells them something critically important that something starts to weigh on his soul there is one of you that is going to betray me and jesus knows that's judas but none of the others except for maybe judas himself really gets what he's saying and what happens when jesus tells him one of you is going to betray me well suddenly um everyone starts looking around the room you know who could it be who's it going to be And then suddenly that suspicion turns into self-defense. Well, it wouldn't be me. I wouldn't betray you. And they scramble to start to protect their public persona. 
from charge that, that they would be the betrayer. I don't know exactly how this panned out. You know, I, I, I've thought about it. Who, who said what? You know, did Peter say, I was the first that Jesus called. I was the first. Surely he wouldn't call me first for me to be the first to betray him. No, it's not me. I don't know. Would it be, you know, Matthew appealing to the fact that he gave up so very much to follow Jesus? He set aside his tax collecting life. No, it, it would never be me. Well, here you have all these apostles trying to jump over one another to establish this kind of pecking order amongst themselves. You know, I'm the greatest. I'm not a betrayer. Never me. And you hear this and you just, what, what do you do? You just kind of put your head in your, your hands and, and say, you've got to be kidding me. This is so completely inappropriate, isn't it, for this to be happening? You just shake your head in embarrassment that they are fighting over who is the greatest at a time when what? When Jesus has just shared with them the most intimate news possible that he is about to give himself up for their sins. And he's about to be betrayed. Here their Savior is telling them this, this critical news and they are fighting and not just fighting. They're fighting in such a way that we, we see a window into their souls and into their style of leadership, which can be summed up like this. Self-promotion. Self-promotion. You know, these... These apostles think that they are on the cusp of something great. Here comes Jesus, the Messiah, rolling into Jerusalem. And still, they just he's told them so many times that he is going to suffer, but they just can't seem to get that into their heads. So what do they seem to be thinking over and over again? That they are on the cusp of some political breakthrough where God's kingdom will be established and, and they'll have First place as the greatest ones next to Jesus in the kingdom. And notice how Jesus responds and kind of just exposes this self-promotion, this style of leadership that's taken hold of their hearts. He appeals to the kings of the Gentiles in verse 25. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Now, isn't this the way that the world works? That's all Jesus is doing. He's telling the apostles that their style of leadership is actually the one that you just see if you look at any government or any social club. You don't have to look far, do you? I have a word for it. It's called a phrase for it. It's called big, big man syndrome. Right? That's, that's the style of leadership. That is self-promotion. In Africa, um, the guy who promotes himself and makes himself big and, and advances himself into a place of incredible power where he controls everyone else, he's called the big man. The man that everyone else answers to. The man that everyone else kind of orbits around. And there's three things that are true of this big man syndrome, this self-promoting leadership. And the first is this. You can count on the big man as being all about advancement, power, and promotion. He's always looking for ways to pull power to himself and to step up that chain, right? You know what I'm talking about, where you know, 
he has to get higher and other people have to go lower. And there's a second thing you can count on. It's entitlement. That one of the ways that the big man does this is by assuming to himself a, a royal title. Whether that's Caesar or Fuhrer or Lord, whatever it is, he holds in place that comfortable position, that self-promoting promoting position through a title. And I know titles aren't bad. I'm not saying that every title is bad. But big man syndrome loves titles and pulls titles and holds on to them. And they're central to what is going on. They put in place that pecking order, right? You've got, um, you've got different titles that reflect different levels. There's one th- a third thing you can absolutely count on with this kind of style of leadership that Jesus is talking about. And it's this. It's that not only is there advancement and entitlement, but also there's recognition. The big man wants to be in the spotlight. So much so that he calls himself benefactor. You know, this was true in Jesus' day, that people like Caesar and those who are immediately under Caesar would give themselves a distinct title. They would say, you can call me benefactor because I am the one who pours forth blessings to you and gives you everything you need and provides for your well-being. And Jesus says, the kings of the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over others. They keep them in their place. They hold them down. They cling to that authority. And on top of all this, they, they ask you to call them benefactor and to kiss their hand as they extend it. So you'd recognize them as a source from whom all blessing flows. Well, friends, we hear of this, and I think you're already starting to get the picture that there is an illness, a sickness that plagues mankind, that finds itself into every social order and every political regime. And it's, it's simply this. It is the idol of self, the idol of self put on a platform. That's what we see in this big man syndrome. You see, Jesus isn't calling out leadership. He isn't saying that all leadership is bad. He isn't saying all titles are bad. He isn't saying every order or class is bad. But he's saying this. There is a way in in which the, the sinful obsession and fixation of me just finds itself into leadership structures. And it grabs hold. And when it does that, what happens? It just... It wrecks havoc. Here's a picture that shows you this just isn't true of um, in Jesus' day. And it's not just true of political orders. It can happen everywhere. You know, dad comes home from work. And first thing he sees, there are groceries on the, on the countertop that still haven't been put away. There's a pot of water that's overboiling on the stove. The dog is chewing into the cat food. And mom is uh, punishing Tommy who hits Susie with a toy. And dad strolls through this chaotic scene and plops down on the couch. And there he sits while he you know, maybe shouts some orders from, from that place. You know, hey, kids, be quiet. Stop that. How, how can he do that? I've done something like that before as a husband. How can I do that? How can we do that? 
those who are called to be leaders? Well, it's simple. You know, someone asked me, why, why did you just stroll through the kitchen and sit down on the couch? In my most sinful moment, I'd, I'd probably say something like, I've had a long day at work. I've been providing for my family and I deserve a seat right here. It's big man syndrome. That's what it is. When service, an opportunity for service and, for, and, and a need is right in front of you and you just walk right past it and tell yourself it's okay because I'm the guy who provides and I deserve this seat right now. You know what Jesus says about this as he sees it, you know, on our uh, on social media and in the home and in the church and with these disciples, Jesus says, Verse 26, not so with you. This is not the way it should be with you. And instead of this syndrome, this sinful dispute, Jesus commends to us a, a serving Savior and a way of service that he teaches. We see it laid out for us in verse 26. He says, not so with you. Disciples, this, this isn't who you are to be. This is not my kingdom. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. See, true leadership is defined by what? By service. That's Jesus' one, one point. One point of a highly effective leader in his church. And everything else flows out from that. It starts with this, with, with service. You know, you, if you were asked, you know, you're, you're sitting in one of those TED Talks and they're gathering audience participation. Um, how would you define, what words would you use to describe a leader? You'd say, well, a visionary, a decision maker, a strategist, a provider, head of the family, parent. But servant? Would servant be the word that comes to our mind first and foremost? It is for Jesus. Servant leadership is the way of his kingdom. Now, what does that look like? We've heard that kind of principle laid out. What does it look like? Well, instead of advancement of self, servant leadership, true leadership, seeks the advancement of others. See that, right? Where instead of you know trying to prop ourselves up, we say, sister, go up higher, brother, go up higher. I want to see you do what God has gifted you to do. And it doesn't matter if I get knocked off, it doesn't matter if my role gets taken away. If if you can do it better, and if God has suited you and called you to it, go on and do that. Instead of entitlement, a true leader sacrifices comfort and precious resources so that others flourish. And yes, that means time. How often have I, you know, in my own family, um, reverted to that big man syndrome where I say, I've been working all day. This time is mine. Don't touch it. And yet Jesus says, oh, no, that time. That's the kind of time where service is all the more sweet. 
That's the kind of time where leadership shines the brightest when you say those quarters where you you say, that's mine. God puts right in front of you an opportunity for service. That's when leadership is is at its brightest and, 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 and most beautiful. And then instead of recognition, instead of that moment in the spotlight, a true leader serves when no one else notices. Now, this is so important, isn't it? And it's something I have to say I have seen thriving in our church. And I want to see it thrive even more. I've been encouraged by what I've seen from you, brothers and sisters, that those tasks that are so important, but that are so easily overlooked by the system of the world. So many of you are are, are desiring and stepping up to do them. And you get no applause. And you get little recognition for it. And yet you do it. Why? Because you want to see others flourishing. Because you want to see people worshiping God. Because you want to see our church reach the world with the message of the gospel. That. That's what it's all about. So I ask you, how are you doing with these things? How are you doing with servant leadership, friends? I've asked myself that question this week, and it's been hard, but I want to turn it to you as well. And let me put before you just one gauge of greatness, um, one challenge for you. Spend time with someone who doesn't need your advice. Spend time with someone who doesn't need your popularity or attention. Spend time with someone who isn't going to give you the applause, and you know it. And then, and then sit under that and, and say, okay, how, what is the Lord teaching me about service? Because it's when you're with someone who, who doesn't look to you as the big man that you really see yourself for who you are, right, before the eyes of God. That's, that's the kind of moment where you can really capitalize on and grow in leadership. Jesus doesn't offer... Titles, friends. He hands out towels, towels to serve with. That's what he's all about. That's what our church needs to really reckon with, especially at this time when we're looking at, our, at, our, at the leaders we're putting forward, at the time of particularization, including myself. And as we look forward to when we're going to add even more leaders down the road and say, okay, this is what we all need to be doing. Because it is possible, and church history shows that it is extremely possible that we will go from this beautiful picture of meek deference to one another, service to one another, and suddenly the titles come in and people stop getting, started getting propped up, and suddenly you have certain classes of leaders within leaders within leaders, and it gets nasty. And it's big man syndrome on steroids. And Jesus says, I offer you a different way. It's actually the way of the Savior, the example of our Savior. Do you see that in the text in verse 27? What does Jesus say? He asks a question. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? And then he, he says, is it not the one who reclines at table? It makes you think, yeah. Yeah, the one who's chilling there at table, you know, getting, getting waited on. Oh, yeah, he or she, they're, they're the one who's... High in the hog. He's just taking in all the glory. And then look at what Jesus says. But friends, I, I am among you as the one who serves. That had to be an eye-opening moment for the disciples. 
I love it. Here's Jesus. He's telling them about leadership. And suddenly it clicks for them. He's, he's been waiting on us at this table. He's been distributing bread and wine to us. He's been leading this feast. But his leadership is one in which, what has he been doing? He's been waiting on tables. He's been washing feet. He's been telling them that he's preparing to die for them. That's the leadership that our Savior puts on display. Friends, we need to become so captivated by that servant heart of Jesus that our addiction to self-promotion withers and dies. We need to pray, Lord, I want to be a Jesus leader so that when I am for, in those moments where someone needs served in front of me and, and, and I'm trying to hold on to my privileges and my power and my prestige, that I put that aside and I lower myself and I wash their feet and I serve. You know, friends, it's so easy to recognize that that's what we ought to do. But you know what? what the, the hardest step for us is to actually be motivated to do it. To be that dad who's walking through the kitchen, who sees the mess, and who rather than going to the couch, who stops. And there's something that motivates us to actually serve. You know, to be that, that mom who, who actually you know, stoops down and, and shares difficult words to her child, even though she knows that that child is probably going to have a tantrum after, after the child hears it. To be that friend who shares difficult words with another friend, even though you know you might lose them. But words they need to hear. That's true servant leadership. How can we be motivated to do that? Only when the cross of Christ grows so large in our hearts that it takes over. It becomes the very pulse of our hearts and our our lives. We have to pray, Jesus, I want a servant heart. Teach me your ways. And he starts to transform our marriages and our homes and our co-working spaces at our church. Friends, that's what Jesus has put before us, the pattern of leadership he's put in our midst. If you're hearing that and you're feeling overwhelmed and frustrated, then I want you to hear the final word of encouragement that Jesus shares in verses 28 through 30. He speaks to these bumbling disciples who just can't get the picture. And look look what he says to them. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. He actually praises these foolish disciples. I think he does that with us too. You know, he looks at us as we are struggling, but we are walking alongside him. And and he actually says, you are my friends who are with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, Jesus knows that these struggling disciples, they're going to take a while to get this. But by his strength in them, by the power of the spirit that he's going to pour out on them, They're going to start to get it, slowly but surely. And we are as well, if we are trusting in the Savior and walking after him, slowly but surely, step by step, 
We're going to get this servant leadership thing as we rely on his spirit. And guess what? As we do that, as we start to serve where no one else notices, someone sees and it's your savior. And he's prepared a glorious future for those who suffer as servants in this life, ruling with him in glory. You see, the big men in this life who who hold the power, they have their moment in the spotlight, their moment in glory. But those who suffer, those who do hard things for Jesus, to lead well for Jesus in this life, yes, they suffer in, in, in the same trials of Jesus in this life. But guess what? Glory awaits them. Glory awaits you and I as we follow our Savior through suffering, through trials, to a glorious leadership in heaven. Let's pray.